Hi everybody, this is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. Yeah. You're listening to Rowan Pratt Method, where we talk all things mindset, fitness, performance and lifestyle design. On today's episode, we have Dan Hunter, who is a physiotherapist, who specializes in chronic pain and also a bodybuilder and a family man. Welcome to the show, Dan. Oh, thanks, Ron. How are you? Very good, thank you. So tell us a bit about your experience in physiotherapy. Uh, well, my experience started in 2013 when I graduated from Notre Dame in Perth. Um, took a job over in oh, Mornington on the peninsula. Essentially working in aged care, the role you revolve around a few different kind of uh, settings, facilities where you basically managing falls and keeping everybody moving. Um, then migrated across into private practice where that gave me a bit of a better opportunity to work with obviously a younger crowd, but people that were a bit more motivated and in an environment that kind of equipped me better to improve them. Um, 2015, I took over the management of a clinic in Pakenham uh, called Physio Choice. And since then, it's just been growth after growth for the last seven years. And now we kind of find ourselves running one of the biggest clinics in the country and here we are, you know, it's, it's all been very smooth, but now it's mainly musculoskeletal and chronic pain management. Okay, and what yeah. age and what demographic do you generally work with? Uh, myself as an individual physician, um, I've treated everybody from three months to 103 years old. So everything in between, um, essentially you're applying the same mechanic of or method to different age groups, different body sizes, this kind of thing. Most common though, our bracket would be between like, I'd say 16 to 45 for more of the uh, workplace or sporting type injuries. Then above that 65 to 85 for more of those more chronic injuries, you know, your knee arthritis, back pains, that kind of stuff is more in that demographic. So I've spoken to a lot of people with uh, suffering from chronic pain. Mm. What do you think the main causes are that lead to things like this? Is it overuse injuries or? Well, if we take the word like overuse, like overuse implies that something has gone beyond its capacity. So we could then imply from that that like, we can't overuse a stronger thing. So there's obviously been some weakness in the background of that, if you know. So if we say overuse, like the person that does that repetitive job, and we see this a lot in trade in particular, you know, people do the building trade, say for 30, 40 years, and they're on the tools, no issues, they just get by, they get through it, maybe they've got back pain, but nothing too crazy, then they retire. And all of a sudden that physical stimulus that was keeping them good and keeping the muscle around and keeping them moving turns into sitting on the couch or turns into playing one game of golf a week. Now, their original injury, I wouldn't say that's due to their overuse of their career. It's due to the under-recruitment in their retirement. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a lack of ongoing stimulus. Because arguably, as we age, we should get better at things because we practice them more. More repetitions. We shouldn't get just worse. That's, that's not how the body should evolve over time. But unfortunately, um, a lot of jobs, like, for instance, trade, even my own with hands, elbows, constantly under-use, if you're not doing the protective methods outside of that and things like recovery, rest, that kind of stuff, that can all lead to those chronic pain cycles starting. But yeah, people get a bit stuck because they want to continue to do their work or function at a particular level. But unfortunately, sometimes the noise around them doesn't allow them to then put energy towards the things that keep that going, to water the garden, so to speak. So as I say, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cliche, but it is true, you know, um, and how we use it's really important. You know, because like there's a lot of um, uh, it sounds a bit not rough, but on the current medicos out there. But like we need a kind of generation rollover in healthcare. We kind of need it because we've still got a lot of 
GPs, and the majority of them are great, but we've still got some out there that are spreading this inactive method or more passive management of injury and pain and this kind of thing. And telling the person to go and do a 20 minute walk at the end of the day is fantastic. Like we need those steps, good for the heart, good for the brain, but it's not gonna help them with their arthritic knee pain. It's not enough, you know, because it's based on 70 years of walking. 20 minutes divided by 70 years, it's not gonna make a substantial difference. But maybe that 20 minutes, but every five minutes, 10 squats, a little bit of resistance, maybe some pull work, all these kinds of things. But unfortunately, the voices that are giving it to the patient aren't equipped with the information, you know? There is a lot of people that really aren't familiar with this topic. They mm. have a basic conception about what is required to be healthy yep. in general terms, but mm. they don't really look at optimizing health and performing well and longevity. It's more about just maintaining lifespan, but it's not a health span. Mm. Mm. I, I think that a lot, especially like one thing I say to all my physios is unfortunately, uh, more so the medical world that we're experienced with and the people that refer to us, like the average GP, and not, not all, but the average GP is an expert in sickness, but not in health. So if I go to the doctor today and say, hey, doc, I feel good, but I want to feel great. They got nothing for me. Mm. I say, you should be happy with good because there's some people that are bad. And that's, I'm not content with that status. You know what I mean? I think you're 100% correct. Another thing is, I guess they base it on averages as well. Mm. And the average person isn't that healthy. Mm. So if you fit that that graph that you're okay they've got nothing for you yeah and those normative values just continue to get worse over time things like bmi these like really archaic judgments of uh, when we talk about bodybuilding and my interest in that like most competitive bodybuilders have an elevated bmi but they're some of the most muscular in most realms healthiest people out there they don't have the bad stuff they've just got the good stuff in a sense with respect to muscle and low fat um But if we use that same tool that a doctor's using to tell someone that they're healthy is then used to tell the bodybuilder that they're unhealthy when they're literally at opposite ends of the spectrum, it's just crazy. Like we need to kind of, we need better informed tools that are more sensitive to how we are today. Definitely. And I think Mm. they don't take into consideration the outliers like the bodybuilder that if they go by the basic conception that if you are this particular level, then you are obese, Mm. but you're not. As you said, they're lean, they're athletic, they're training regularly, they're health conscious, but Mm -hmm. their health is fine. Obviously, there are those that aren't, but yeah. there's um, there's outliers everywhere. Correct. So in terms of longevity, how mm. do you think people can continue doing what they want to do long term and live a yeah. healthy life? Yeah, I, I think there's some basic keys. Like, I mean, if I was to prioritize, sleep is number one. But we need to sleep well, which isn't just being in bed for eight hours. It's actually transitioning into deep sleep and being there for long enough to wake up feeling refreshed. A lot of people go, oh, I can't survive on less than 10 hours, but they're actually getting a quality four hours in the middle there, two hours flipping on their phone, waking up to go to the bathroom, all these kinds of things. So we need to kind of resolve those problems. Once sleep is kind of sorted, whether that's through supplements, comfort, temperature of the room, reducing uh, unnatural sources of light before bed, simple things, simple things that can be done very well in every household. Then we look at the nutrition side of things. Because obviously if we're living a diet that is inflammatory, we're going to live a lifestyle that is inflammatory. That's gonna impact wear and tear in our joints. Um, that inflamed status makes our kidneys work harder, our liver work harder, our heart work harder, because it's, it's pushing these things all the way through our system. So if our sleep and nutrition are sound, then it's all more about the outputs and less about the inputs. So it's about what are we spending our time doing? You know, um, you kind of become what you do. So if what you do is sit at the desk all day and then you finally finish your day at work and you go, Phew. so you go home and sit on the couch all night. That's the same thing. It's an extension of the same behavior. 
So that's not going to lead to good outcomes. We kind of, in my kind of simplified version of it, we want to kind of do a bit of the opposite. I spend my day standing, mostly looking down at a table and pushing. If you look across a cohort of people that do that, physio should have some of the worst posture in the game because we literally are looking over ourselves. But then we're equipped with the knowledge to reverse that change. So we spend some time in those open positions with our shoulders back and the chest up and proud. Um, and, and when we talk about longevity, it really depends on how you're spending that time. As I mean, like we really, we can't undo everything. You're going to pay tax on movement. That's going to happen. But basic things like maintaining some baseline mobility and the 10,000 steps is a great goal, but it's not actually based on any particular scientific method. It's just a good amount of steps to get people moving. And it's, as I say, great for the heart, great for the brain, great for the organs, great for hydration, all those kinds of things. But it's not quite enough if you're already spending nine hours of that day standing around a retail store. That extra 20 minute walk with the dog is fantastic for you, but it's not rewarding in the way that it should be. So I think resistance training is a big missing piece for a lot of people. And that doesn't mean going to a gym and throwing iron around. It might be doing some body weight squats off a chair at home. But it's also then prioritizing and finding the time to do that. Mm. So if we rehash that, we get sleep. There's some simple resolutions there and we can talk more about them if needed. Nutrition, again, like as long as we're eating some form of seasonal vegetables, various forms of protein, so we get our full amino acid profile there, and we're ingesting that with enough water to help that all get shuffled throughout our body. Box tick, you know what I mean? We're getting the necessary nutrients into our system so that we can function well. If we're ticking those two boxes, we're performing some output that's not our 10 hour day. You need something to disrupt your behavior. And if even if it was 10 hours of boxing in a day, you're gonna need that hour of meditation. Because mm. you need the opposite we, we need to flip the page a little bit so that we can balance the books on that front or else you accrue that overuse side of things um and as i say like finding some exercise that is both enjoyable sustainable but rewarding and i don't just mean mentally like i got a sweat i'm good but rewarding from a functional perspective that's important and whether that means getting a dosage from your local physio from an exercise physiologist a pt youtube has so much information on it it's almost too much um but running that information that you can easily absorb past people and getting opinions can be handy. Um, but I think if you stick to those tenants, there's no reason that you should get worse over time. We should all age like fine wine, you know? I like that concept because so many people are focused on instant gratification and short-term results, yep. but it becomes that yo-yo effect. Yep. So I always say that a lot of people in the fitness industry are setting people up for failure. They set them up with programs that are simply unsustainable on diets and such a strict calorie deficit they yep. can't maintain it long-term. Yep. So they get instant results, but that might come in the form of losing some body fat, some muscle, some water, some bone density even. Then they rebel and end up gaining it all back anyway, and it becomes this yo-yo where they return customers. But it's not setting people up for success. No. And the basis of a lot of those relationships are codependence. In my opinion, the basis of every healthcare professional, be it an oncologist, all the way down to a personal trainer, should be redundancy. We want our patient to not need to see us because that means we are successful in our trade. If I'm a personal trainer, I'm equipping people with information, so I do not need to continue to equip them with that information. If I've created a codependency, I understand there's business models in there too that we need to use. Some people love accountability, that's fantastic. Stimulate, it's a great environment to learn, to grow and, and get that from a personal trainer. In the physio space, in the chiro space, osteopath, uh, it's the kind of thing where we don't want to be busy because we're treating the same people often. 
We want to be busy because we're treating a lot of different people and actually helping them get them out the door, get them out experiencing life. And if they come back in two years with a recurrence or with maybe a new injury, fantastic. That's great. But we've got to build to that. That takes a lot of time. It's a very much a reframing of the approach of the industry, which is what I hope to do by mentoring physios and teaching them that so that I can build a few more me's. And then when such time comes that I step back, I know that those ripples are still moving forward. So as you said, there's so much information. There's YouTube. Anyone can pretty much find anything now more than ever. What is missing? Why are people so unhealthy? Why are they so unwell despite this abundance of information? Well, I think like uh, we, we spoke about it just briefly actually before we walked in about that gratification side of things as well. Like we are told to hustle and to work too hard and all these kinds of things. And there's not really a lot of, you know, famous influencers going around saying, get your sleep, eat your vegetables. You know what I mean? Like those people, their voices aren't very loud. It's not very flashy. And unfortunately, like to improve your health is not generally a flashy, fun process if you're at the extreme of unhealth. You know, so I I think what's missing is finding people that are relatable, that can educate you in a way that you can understand that it's not about ego. It's not, hey, you want to look like me? You've got to do this, 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 because that worked for me. But that doesn't work necessarily for them. So we need an individualized approach. But unfortunately, um, I say unfortunately only because I think there's a bit too much emphasis on interaction with GPs in this space. We need the GPs to be able to stand up and step back and say, we're not the best at this. There's these other guys, and I'm not saying physio necessarily, but there's some brilliant dietitians, some brilliant nutritionists. Now, some of these roles aren't receiving the funding from Medicare to perform their duties in a way that's going to be more tangible for the patient. So if a patient can see the guy that's going to be the cheapest, necessarily not the guy that's going to be the best, they're more often going to opt for the cheapest. And unfortunately, in this trade, you tend to get what you pay for. Okay, Um, if we had a bit more Medicare backing behind those voices that can help stimulate these healthy lifestyles and create environments where people can succeed and win, like you say, then all all of a sudden those voices are louder and the doctors can use these enhanced primary care plans which they have access to. You know, a lot of people walking these streets don't realize they can go to their GP, get a Medicare funded plan, which will either give them a subsidy towards or completely bulk bill a session with the dietitian. A session... Uh, with a diabetes educator, an exercise physiologist, osteopath, physio. That's all right there. But it's one of those don't ask, don't tell kind of things. And we need to equip people with that information because we're all paying tax. We should be able to benefit from this Medicare system that is behind us, not just when we're broken, but to avoid getting broken. Well, as you said, it's so focused on sickness as mm. opposed to health or even yeah. performance. Yeah, it's not time. optimization in any way, shape or form. It's just okay. I had a chat with a guy and he his testosterone levels were in the healthy range, but I think they were 11. Mm. So if it was below 10, he would have been unhealthy and could have got TRT, but yeah. they didn't explore the options yeah. as to why they were so low, but he was deemed as healthy. Yeah, yeah. I've had a personal experience with that. So when I finished my competitive season, I believe it was 2015, I just had somebody say, oh, have you ever had your test level checked? Because I'd, you know, competed in the A&B and the IBA and been super low body fat for a long time. And often your hormone system is driven by your body fat in a sense or supported by your body fat. So that I'll go check. So I went to my GP. I said, I'd like to check my test level. He asked me why. I'm like, well, it's a major indicator of my health as a male. So I'd like to check it. <laughs> you know, I don't see a problem with that. Um, so they sent me to get checked. Now, my, my score was 8.1. Mm. Right, and this is as a healthy 24-year-old. And I went back to the doctor. Now, at that time, the range wasn't 10 to 35. That time, the r- range was 8 to 35. 
And the doctor went, oh, you know, you're in the normal range. <laughs> what are we talking about? I'm in the normal range. <laughs> I am just in the normal range. And he goes, oh, well, do you have any symptoms? I go, okay, but if I'm on the risk factor list for like cholesterol, you're going to put me on cholesterol medication. If I'm on the risk factor list, maybe I'm pre-diabetic, you're going to send me to a dietitian. You're going to teach me how to eat, get me on a, maybe a, a protein and fat-based diet, reduce my sugar. You're going to do all of that so I don't become a diabetic. If I'm at 8.1 at 24 years old, knowing that the, the dropout rate of testosterone in the male body is exponentially bad for us towards 40 and beyond, it just gets drastically lower very rapidly, which leads to, you know, there's some mental health issues. There's some studies are coming out that are closely tied to test level. You know, there's, uh, we've got estrogenous fat zones around the breasts, around the waist, these kinds of zones where you, you see all these old boys potting around with a pot belly and skinny little legs. There's a reason maybe why that body fat's there. And maybe it's because they're walking around with no testosterone. But the doctor was more curious on why I wanted to know it and why I wanted it resolved than to try to get me to a normative value to my age, which is just crazy to me. So how did you resolve it? So I looked into some uh, methods of, you know, like I looked into, there was a natural one called, I think it was called Tribulus at the time, it was a supplement. Um, I reviewed my sleep. I reviewed my nutrition. I reviewed how much sunlight I was... I, just looked at the holistic image of how can I improve my health. So I basically actively reduced stress in my life. I simplified a lot of things that were causing me a bit more internal turmoil than I realized. Um, and in doing so, kind of simplified my whole lifestyle, which was good for me. From a dietary perspective, I increased my fat intake within a healthy range. You know, So for me, generally, I lived a low-fat life, like about half to 0.75 gram per kilo of weight. I took that up to like one, 1 1.2, which basically meant for me, I was close to doubling my intake of fat. Yeah, but which is my, necessary as a precursor correct. for testosterone. You need correct. cholesterol. You need it, you need it. So, But I offset the caloric implication of that with obviously more output. I started yeah. doing a bit more cardiovascular work. Um, a lot of people get tied into the weight training and think cardio is only when they're getting ready for a show. We need cardiovascular health, uh, full stop. Um, it's going to help move all that stuff you're eating to where it needs to be. So I brought a bit more of that in and my, my level settled out at about 13.1, 15.1. And I, I felt better for it. I was less uh, emotionally reactive. I slept better. At what level? Uh, about 15. Okay. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, the other thing I noticed is like facial hair grew through, which as a 24, 25 year old to be going through that process going, what the hell is this? Like, how can I grow a beard? But it was because finally I was functioning at a level as per my age, you know. Now, I grew up in a female-dominant household, um, three sisters, mum, dad was around, but not overly much uh, involved with a lot of things of my life. Um, on the weekends, he was around, but otherwise, midweek, it was just mum and the girls. Now, our hormones are, the environmental impact on hormone health is huge. Now, for me, growing up in a female-dominant environment, it was quite normal for me to have a depressed test level right but then when i'm out of that situation i'm training hard i'm lifting heavy i was doing everything right to stimulate it okay but i think as i say getting control of stress reducing those kind of negative exogenous stimulus is what helped it start to recover you know and now you know i've functioned at a better level now it's it feels good it's better sleep it's as i say like less emotional i don't put a YouTube video on of somebody winning the voice and get a, get a tear in my eye, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, um, it, and it feels good like that. And my, my now wife, 
she kind of talks about how it just, it was almost like I solidified. So who I was all of a sudden became who I am, if you know what I mean? Um, which I felt, and I just felt a bit more conscientious, assertive, you know, like, and it was good. It was good to feel after years of realizing that maybe all of that kind of downtrodden feelings that I had, that poor sleep, the, um, the kind of low drive was more to do with my hormones than I realized. Yeah, I think well, your a, cortisol levels would have been yeah, through mate, the roof. I think there's a lot of mental health issues out there that are undiagnosed low tests. Yeah. You know, I really, for males anyway, obviously. Well, as you look at that yeah. relationship between cortisol and testosterone, if cortisol is high, tests can't be. Yeah. They don't yeah. work together. Yeah. So, so many people have got elevated levels of cortisol because they're just struggling with stress. Mm -hmm. And you go to your doc again and say, hey, doc, I'm curious about my cortisol levels. Like, go, why? <laughs> why does it matter? I want to get an answer so then I can adjust my lifestyle. And cortisol is the stress hormone. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, circling back to where we say where does it start, it does unfortunately start in the GP office. They're the people that need to start advocating for find good, not just bad to find. We've got to raise that baseline. And if we start raising that baseline, and you look at some international countries, like... Uh, take Singapore, for instance. Um, now, the the youth need to do their national service, right? So they all get kind of enlisted, trained. Now, if you look at the population in Singapore, they're all pretty clued in on health, hygiene, fitness, you know, activity, all these things, because it's drilled into them at an age um, that they are more susceptible or, let's say, more easy to educate, more accepting of new ideas, right? If I'm trying to educate a 65-year-old patient that he needs to get up and do 10 squats, it's not gonna help. Like if I tell him, hey man, I need you to do 30 squats a day, it'll really help. He's like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. So rather than set him up for failure with my programming, because it's a failure of him and a failure of me, I say, okay, well what about every time you get up, just get up twice. Let's make it incidental. And then he starts doing that, he goes, oh, I counted the other day, I did 100 squats, I go, fantastic, how do you feel? He goes, I feel great. Now that's, that little incidental approach is just another way that we can kind of navigate that water of trying to get some compliance. I'd love if in Australia to get your license, you need to do a medical for nothing else than preventative care. But we're not a preventative country when it comes to healthcare. We are reactive. You know what I mean? Policy comes out after the problem, not prior to it. When we know what's coming, we know diabetes levels are rising, obesity levels are rising, all these things. We've got a lifestyle that bleeds into that. Proactive care should be the focus. It's going to save us the most money, which should be the motivator from the government perspective, at least. So if anything, we're aware of the problems. There's so much information out there. We've already touched on that. Mm. But why are things getting worse? Why, as a whole, we have more high rates of obesity, high rates of mental health issues, mm. high rates of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, the works? Why aren't things improving despite all these modern changes and things that we're aware of yeah well i guess like technology solves a lot of problems in our life most of them are based on convenience they take something that gives us gripe because we have to do xyz and they make us able to jump straight to z perfect example is the photocopier at the other end of the office right sue gets up 60 times a day to go grab something from the photocopy the printer and then she walks back and at the end of the day she's done her let's say the 12,000 steps you know and it's just been powering to this thing her health is okay she's getting by but then somebody goes oh you know what we're going to do we're just going to give you guys a printer down this end it's going to be so much easier and she goes oh that's great and then she shows up at her clinic she's getting progressive back pain you know the upper back posture is starting to go she's got the chin poke thing going on because she's sitting at a desk all day now 
reaching rather than getting up. She's lost that incidental mobility and a lot of technology um, innovation solves a convenience problem. But we kind of need to be a little bit inconvenient. That self-imposed, I'm not going to go so far as to call that self-imposed suffering, but if we did a blanket term and said that it is, like we need a bit of that. It keeps us honest from a physical point of view, right? So like I think it's getting harder because technology makes things easier. Yeah. Makes things less physical. You know, in certain industries, um, you know, like take your physical trades, it's way better to use like a crane off a tray to lift a pallet of concrete than have some poor guy throwing concrete on his shoulder all day. Absolutely. That is a great innovation that reduces load, reduces physicality, allows them to direct it to where it's going to reward them more from a um, kind of productivity standpoint and a physical standpoint, reduce risk. But when it's just convenience, I mean, it's good technology, but the technology is kind of the problem. And on half of that technology now is social media. And some of that is about like, I can't do what they're going to do. So it's a negative motivator for a lot of those people. Why get off the couch when I can't jump to look straight like that guy? You know, because there's an imposed suffering there. But with those images, mm. they're photoshopped. They've Everything. got lighting. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's got the highlight reel of their life. And yeah. talking about social media, everyone's promoting their best life or what they want to sell to people as a brand. Yeah. And the average person doesn't have a life like that. No, no. one does. It's no. And it's not possible. We all have highs and lows. We have it's peaks and troughs. Yeah, yeah. It's part of life. Yeah. But everyone is fixated on this ideal life mm. that isn't true. Mm. And that's why there's so much suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's leads to a lot of dissatisfaction. And there's not much more demotivating than not being satisfied by everything you look at around yourself. You know what I mean? And whether that's you work in an office and you don't really love that job, you get online and you see all these guys, they're flying over the Maldives, you know, they're going to Seychelles, they're in the archipelago, all these beautiful places. And all they do is that. It's great. It's fantastic. But like you say, they're also running through airports, dropping passports, getting lost in place. You know, like they've got that negative side. It's just not shown. Um, but that bad taste in the, I'll call it a consumer of that media, the bad taste that leaves in their mouth for their own life is not going to motivate them to change things. They'll just keep scrolling until they find something that makes them feel better. And that's where you roll onto that negative energy. And it's like, ha he's doing worse than me. I feel better now. It's all good. I'm going to stop scrolling there. I'm going to put my phone away. I feel better. Or I'm going to leave a comment that makes that guy feel bad. So I feel better. You know, it's, it's, it's really bad, man. And that negative feedback loop, it's, it's chaos. You get stuck, you know, breaking that cycle is impressively difficult. I really, like I have a daughter, so do you. Mm, and mm. it's something that I'm really concerned about yeah. that our kids are going to grow up with yeah. because the dopamine hit that they're getting from social media constantly, yeah. getting my daughter off PlayStation is hard enough. Mm -hmm. But even us, I think about how much time I spend scrolling, like yeah. mindlessly scrolling. Yeah. There's no nothing, like to be fair, the things that I look at are generally health promoted mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. they have some sort of beneficial thing, but it's just the same information regurgitated over and over again. Yeah. And yeah. the followers that you have, all the haters that you have, it's just people, they live their life online. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things where like, especially for me, one of the best features on the iPhone is you can set a screen lock that goes off at a certain amount of minutes of viewing. So I have mine set for two hours, right? Now I'm a, a very busy boy at the clinic. So that two hours might be, that's going to include me picking up my phone to send a message to my wife or send a text to my mother-in-law to be like, oh, how's the daughter going today? Or any updates from the morning? Or maybe I'm talking to the CEO, we're trying to chase up some things for some new recruits. That all comes out of that two hours. Even though that's productive use of my phone, it's still coming out at the same time, you know? The other side is much more about it does limit 
my capacity to consume the social media. Now, the other thing is you can just switch it off when it goes off. And sometimes you do choose to. And when you get that reminder, like the iPhone, some of the tech in there, I think they've, I think they've really tried. I don't know whether other brands do it because I've only had an iPhone more recently, but like the information they give us that, oh yeah, your screen time average, you know, four hours, 17 minutes a day. And you step back and you go, okay, four hours, I had 24 hours in that day and I used 16% of it staring at this thing. It's funny, isn't it? That's, when you really think about it like that. It's a huge amount of time. It's a huge amount of time. Like if I said to someone, hey man, can you just stare at me for four hours a day? Why would I do that? It's just as stim- like you're getting just the same amount back, right? Um, so I, th- I think, yeah, that the social media is a big trap because um, honesty is certainly not very marketable. It, only if it's harsh honesty that kind of is, you know, a bit of fanfare and scandal and everything else. But yeah, I, I think if we can step back from that or at least, like I say, promote voices that are very honest and um, promoting the right approach or let's say not necessarily right, but let's say the most positive, you know what I mean? Rather than kind of talking down on that guy so that they face promotion, you know, like I'm better than them, so listen to me. That just never ends, you know? And yeah, people get stuck and then they don't know who to trust and it's just this, yeah, it's chaos. So I think tech and social media are like two big, two big reasons that people are on that slippery slope, not knowing where to go, not knowing what to hold on to. And unfortunately, time keeps ticking. Time doesn't stop because you haven't figured out how to get fit yet. You know what I mean? Or how to manage your stress yet. That heart's still pounding. Those vessels are still getting a bit more clogged each day. Those muscles are wasting. Those bones are wearing and tearing. You know what I mean? It's it's important that we can kind of halt that before it starts. And that's got to start, as I say, GP office. That's it. So that's the first step. And a lot of people, particularly men, they don't want to make that first step and go look for help. A lot of them, they just don't want to know yeah. if there's something wrong. Yeah. And you touched on being in a job they don't like, people in relationships they don't like, jobs they don't like, homes they don't like, and they just that unsatisfactoriness exists and they just accept it as the norm because they're scared of change. And they don't want to take that action to actually change the scenario, they just dwell in it. Well, there's, there's companionship in suffering. You know what I mean? Like, I'm having a bad day. I message my mate, how's it going? Oh, man, rough day. Oh, me too. Neither of us feel better. As in nothing has changed to improve our day, but we're sharing companionship in that we're both having a bad one. So the guy that's overweight or the guy that's maybe not overweight, maybe he's perfectly fit, but he's unhappy. He can find unhappy people easily. So he's finding connection. Yeah, there's a community in being in that state. And if you disrupt that community, some people would say you're not being accepting of their state. I I have zero acceptance of people that are in a negative state, as in I don't want them there. You know what I mean? I'm not going to sit back. Across my table, I'm treating someone's back. We're talking about every facet of their life, everything that they're open to. You know, like the amount of tears that fall on my office floor, not from what my thumbs are doing, but more from the topics that we're kind of crossing over. Because for me, and a lot of these are blokes, it becomes a safe space. It's non-judgmental. And I think if you're talking to someone that can find some common ground with some of those struggles, but rather than find companionship in the suffering, you're finding companionship in somebody that's got the solution or maybe a path to at least attain it. So it becomes a bit more of a hopeful discussion because that kind of gets lost when you when you when everyone around you is down. It's very hard to get up, very hard. And that's where like the last two years have been pretty brutal for a lot of, uh, let's say if you had a chink in the armor, it definitely got blown off in the last two years. Yeah. Definitely. A lot of people are still suffering after the pandemic. Yeah. It's been 
catastrophic for mental health, mm. physical health, everything. And the fact that the anxiety that people are going through just simply going back to the office because yep. everyone's learned to work from home. Yep. But social interaction dropped, it plummeted, and the social anxiety skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. There's so many issues. But in terms of having solutions, mm. what do you think stops people from actually implementing them? I know there's a connection, like there's people that suffer from addictions or they've got yeah. whatever misfortune and they have that connection, that community with other people that have the same scenario or situation. Yeah. yeah. What stops them from dragging themselves out of it and leveling up? Something I hear a lot, which is like very disappointing for my patients. I go, oh, I say, oh, did you do your exercise? I go, oh, sorry, I'm really lazy. I go, why are you defining yourself as that? You're not lazy. You just have your priorities in the wrong order. And, and life, and we discussed this prior, your priorities do change and you need to be fluid with that. So like if I've given you, I don't know, an exercise to do for your lower back. Now, you know your lower back's going to hurt if you don't do it. You know it makes you feel better. You'd think that'd be enough stimulus. But you get home and it's your kid's birthday, so you've, you've got to set the backyard up. You've got to do the whippersnipper. You've got to get the big blower. You've got to mow. All these tasks, her happiness supersedes my own. I'm going to prioritize that. That's not lazy. That's life. You know what I mean? And if you then take that negative feedback loop of saying, I'm lazy, I'm worthless, I failed again. You know, They identify as that. Exactly. Yeah, they define themselves as it, and it happens with injury as well. Like, and you, you certainly would have met people in the fighting game where they're like, "Oh, hey, you know, I'm Steve. I've got a bad shoulder." Like, that's yeah, that's it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, no, you nice Steve, to meet your that, bad shoulder. That's what I mean. You know, you had a bad shoulder. That was an incident in your life, and now you've moved forward through it. But they own it, and again, there's camaraderie in that, camaraderie in that suffering. You know, and I, I think it really kind of, if we can kind of change the language around it make people kind of persevere find a bit of hope find that spark and like in my clinic that's like a forefront thought for us we want positive interaction but these guys could be coming in on the worst day of their life and that might not even be about their back pain they could have hurt their back in a car accident where they lost their partner they don't care about rehab for their back pain but TAC does and they're funding it so we've got to find a find some way to stimulate that environment and get some action. You know what I mean? Well, you're talking about connection, mm. and you've really highlighted that there's such a big aspect connection through suffering. Why is there no connection through healing or through moving forward? Why aren't people certain? like obviously gym culture, for example? Mm. People love joining sporting clubs, things mm-hmm. like that, because they have that community involvement. They have yeah. those connections, yeah, yeah. build rapport with people, have those relationships. But a lot of them have a negative impact. Still, why aren't people looking for the positive? the positive, successful people that have dealt with the problems that they've faced, that aren't wallowing in it? I think it exposes your own inadequacy, which people aren't comfortable with. Like I could have a five-star chef put a meal down in front of me. I could not like that meal. It doesn't make him any less of a five-star chef, but it will bother him that he's cooked something that someone doesn't like, but he doesn't try my tastes. You know what I mean? So like, unfortunately, I think camaraderie in the suffering is easy because it's common, you know? If I look within my own industry, um, there are some physios, like I say, that are categorized as I'd say they're busy because they see a lot of the same people, or there's physios that are busy because they discharge a lot of people and they make people better or they help improve and equip them to resolve their issues. Now, the physio that's empowering people, unfortunately, they've got to come in and ask for that help. It's not just out there and it's not accessible from the voice they often hear, which again is that GP. You know, um, if the GP is saying, oh, you know, yeah, you know, you're getting old, it happens. That's just hopeless. 
that's just desperate. You know, that's it's not going to do a thing. And in my view, like approaching these situations from desperation never really gets you there. So I think finding communities and especially like I've dealt with a lot of people that suffer with more terminal illness. And unfortunately, it's taken them years of suffering and then they come into the office and I say, oh, have you met anybody else with your disorder or, or suffering from this disease? I go, no. Oh, maybe that's a good idea. Just contextualize your experience. You know, like my benefit as a physician is probably A, the, the, the bodybuilding training gives me kind of a, a bit more of a insight into muscular function but then it's also i've had a lot of injuries so there's a lot of people that come into me stressed about a lesser version of something that i've already succeeded in getting through that's an easy sell you know what i mean be like oh look at me we can do this we can get this we'll do this we'll do this i did that that's how it works so i think if you can find people to relate to in your scenario then you can succeed and you can find some hope and, and get some positive feedback not just feel inadequate you know um but that's that whole, again, harping back to social media, every grass looks greener than your own. You know, but that's because you're not watering it. Mm. <laughs> it's just dying because you're too busy looking over the fence. Yeah. You know, it's a hard one. So in terms of bodybuilding, mm. coming from a physiotherapist perspective, what do you think people are forgetting? What do you, what do you think the myths are? That the conventional, per- the average person that's just training, they're doing a five-day split and they're just plugging away at the gym. They're not focusing on recovery. They're just following whatever thing they've found on Google mm. and taking every supplement under the sun. Yep. What advice would you have to them? Well, let's take the supplement side of things first. Now, if we're talking like your protein, your creatine, all that kind of stuff, protein's an easy supplemental to use to bulk up a diet that maybe is low in protein, right? Um, With respect to things like creatine monohydrate, uh, beta alanine, all these other kind of substrates, like creatine monohydrate, I believe everybody should be taking. It's a fantastically well-studied thing that is really good for most people, right? Who doesn't need a bit more strength and endurance? I don't know any of those people, you know? But as an aside, the supplements only work if the rest of the system's working, because they are supplemental, right? If I'm putting high-octane fuel into a 96 Corolla, it's not a Ferrari. It doesn't matter how much fuel I put in it, it's still a 96 Corolla, and it will go as hard as a 96 Corolla can. In the gym space, you see a lot of people that they go hard, and they work so hard. And that effort is admirable, but it's not targeted. You know, I've got a lot of guys that um, they'll tell me what they lift, and then we'll train together. And when they've got some eyes on them, they're actually saying, oh, no, no, you've got to tuck those elbows. You've got to arch that back a bit more, open up that chest, actually use your pecs. Their weight's dropped dramatically. And it bothers them, but it shouldn't. They've just found a greater way to stimulate with less load, arguably a little bit less injury risk. So I think people get a bit too tired. There's again. that inadequacy again. Yeah, that yeah that's what I mean. Yeah. It's a real problem, like especially in the gym space, which is so social media driven, you know. Um, people deadlift more because the guy next to them is deadlifting now that a bit of natural competitiveness that's good that's going to light a fire that maybe training on your own can't that's fantastic but if you know it's beyond your capacity but you're doing it anyway so that the chick at the counter can watch you do it or maybe your mates they've just lifted it and you don't know that's just a bit silly you're going to get an injury you get an injury you get a setback but then you return to that environment with a fear of injury and a lot of people are afraid to hurt themselves in the gym so they work hard in the wrong direction you know what I mean? Um, I, I think there's a lot of video out there of these old classic bodybuilders, you know, doing heavy bent over rows, heavy deadlift, heavy bench press. They've all got a place, fantastic movements. Um, but they're not right for everyone. 
you know i've got patients that come to me seek professional healthcare assistance because when they do a hack squat their knees hurt now it's the only environment the only situation that their knees hurt don't do it's it. just not hack squat yeah but they're tied to it. Their success is dependent on this machine. No, 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 no. It's just, we need to reframe it, you know? And that's what we, when I talked about the individualization of like programming and all that, that's really important. Periodization is something that a lot of people miss as well. Kind of giving yourself enough time with the movement to learn it and then to master it and then to progress it, right? Once you reach that ceiling, then we rotate to something else. If you do a different chest workout every week, you're going to be pr- providing some out- some output, certainly, getting some stimulus back, um, maybe burning the same calories, maintaining your weight. That's all fantastic. But the chest isn't learning anything. No, the body has to adapt, but they usually yeah. don't give it enough time Correct. in any program. Yeah. They just swap from one to the next. Yeah, yeah. I really I relate so much of it to gardening. It's crazy. I'm not like some avid gardener, but just the analogy. Like if I planted a new plant every week and pulled the one out that I just planted before, nothing's growing. Mm. I'm just going to be a busy gardener. And these are the guys that are in the gym, hardest worker in the room, but they look the same for five years. Yeah. Go, so they're well, not being effective in the future of what they're doing. Correct. They're training for correct. the sake of training. Yeah. They're training because it's habitual. Yeah. Um, but their approach is, it doesn't lack discipline. They're certainly disciplined to do it, but they're not encompassing it as a, let's say a lifestyle. And that lifestyle is not for everyone, but for myself, for instance, I've, dropped my training back because life determined that that was the best thing for me to do now i've done that but i've tweaked the sessions so i'm still providing the same volume stimulus across that week so i haven't lost anything all i've done is gain some time you know but the average gym guy like you said there's so many voices they can google how do i build my chest and they'll get 50 million results right but realistically in most things if you have an exercise that feels really good take that one to the end of the line mm. Take it where you cannot lift anymore and then learn something else. If it feels good, do it. You're going to enjoy your sessions more. If you enjoy them more, you'll work better. You'll work harder. And if you come out of it more satisfied, maybe you don't need to do 50,000 different exercises. It's probably another mistake a lot of people make. They do a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, my average session for like a back day or a pull day is four back movements. Just four. That's it. And then maybe I'll do a couple for biceps because it's an area I'm trying to build a bit more. Uh, One posterior deltoid movement. But it's energy spent maximally with specificity. It's not me just coming out globally pumped, globally fatigued with no real kind of gain from stimulus. So many people that I speak to, I ask them, are they training for a result or are they training for the sake of training? And albeit any physical activity is good for mental health, for physical health and everything. It's great if they want to spend their time in their gym, but are they being effective and efficient with the time they're spending in there? Mm. Is there a result they're aiming to achieve? And I ask them, why do you want to achieve that? Even with weight, for example, someone says, I want to lose weight. I'm like, why? I'm like, how much do you weigh? 90? I'm like, if you were 90 and jacked, would you be happy? Or if you were 90 and fat, you wouldn't be like, do you really care about the scale weight? They're like, well, no, I don't. It's more about what do you specifically want? What's the reasoning behind your actions? Yeah, yeah. You want less bad stuff, more good stuff. Exactly. And a lot of people thrash themselves in the gym. They end up sore. They can't work the next day. They can't train again. They get injured. They're spending two hours in the gym every day and getting no results, like you said, after five years. Mm -hmm. What's the point? Yeah, yeah. And that's that negative feedback loop. And then you're looking at that guy that he only popped up to the gym six months ago. Look at him. Oh, my God. He's got this body that I'll never achieve. Or look at her. She's squatting that weight. She only just walked in here. And they take it personally, you know, because they're working hard. But we can relate that straight on back to that tradie that refuses to help himself. 
or the, the other patient in another trade in retail that just has sore feet all day, has a sore back all day, has a sore neck all day, but goes, oh, well, no, that's what it is. They just, it's an acceptance that like that failure is okay and that they just need to keep doing it and keep trying and sometime that dam's gonna break. The dam's not gonna break, they're gonna break. And that's why people like me are busy. You know what I mean? Because we have these guys come through often and often when we start to talk about training, the biggest thing I do to people is make them train less. They spend less time in the gym, they do less exercises with lower overall volume and they make more progress than they've made. Because we talked about cortisol and stress stimulus. If the one positive thing you're doing for your body is driving more stress than anything else, it's not gonna help you. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just not. Adding more stress to an already stressed yeah. body is not yeah. gonna work. Yeah. You know, and even things like, you know, with the boxing, you get home and oh, I just gotta punch a bag for an hour. Cool, man, that's not very good for you. It might feel good to do, so you get that little hit. Different endorphins. Yeah, you go, oh, I feel better now, I'm settled. That's cool. Better that than blowing up somewhere else, absolutely. But if you think that's gonna lead to like tangible improvement in that in that situation, it's just not going to. It's just output for the sake of it. Yeah. You know, um, we need some targets, we need some direction. We need those smart goals, short-term, mid-term, long-term goals. But as I say, if it is purely output and that person is trying to maintain their weight, maintain some physical health, cool. Use your body from a bunch of different angles, doing a bunch of different things, maintain your cardiovascular health, you'll be right. You'll be fine. But if we talk about building muscle, that's when we need the specificity that we're saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's amazing that so many people want to build muscle, but I ask them, have you actually done your girth measurements? Mm. And most people haven't. Mm. So how do they track their progress? Mm. They're just training going, I feel like I'm getting a bit bigger or my bench has gone up a bit, like yeah. I'm benching this much, but yeah. there's no way to measure how successful they're being with any program, then they swap to the next program. Yeah. Just consist- uh, consistently swapping nonstop. Yeah. yeah, and that feel word is a big one for me. Yeah. When I have people say like, oh, no, I don't really feel, I'm like, eh, sorry. Like, we're not here for feelings, you know, <laughs> not to be brutal, but it's like, I, I don't much care about how the feeling of that workout is. I'm interested in, you know, did you hit your four by eight at this particular rate of perceived exertion such that we know that then we can improve on it next week did you tick the goal or tick the box did you hit the goal did you because if you didn't i don't really care how you felt about it if you know what i mean if you said oh man that that workout felt great i felt really good i felt this i felt that. I go, that's fantastic i'm glad how's your body i'm happy that your brain is feeling better and your heart is feeling more full from that session that's fantastic do you feel tight in your chest <laughs> do you have doms you know have you do you feel that you need maybe a bit more food? Are you, are you changing on the scales? Are you changing your girth? These, these physical objectives, these are the measures that we need to track that progress. So if you train for feeling, just put a song on that you like. Yeah. That's that. Done. <laughs> I, love every, I love training. It's the best music I've ever heard. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. No, well, I think um, a lot of people out there, they really, they treat themselves like they're a martyr. So, and not just when it comes to exercise, but it's more about how much they can push themselves. And yeah. like, I thrash myself in the gym. I couldn't walk for four days. Yeah. Like, and it's like a bragging right. Yeah. 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 But they do it in life as well. They're like, I worked however many, however many hours a week just mm-hmm. to provide for a family, but they never see their family. They're not happy. They're not doing, they're not living a life that they want to live. Yep. They're just, it's constantly sacrificed. Cortisol yeah. levels are going through the roof. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I say to a lot of people, like, who's showing up at your funeral? You know what I mean? Socially, you're absent. Family, you're absent. Who's showing up? 
And when they say, oh, he died doing what he hated. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants that? Yeah. You know I mean, um, I, I think there's, and that's that other badge of honor or that camaraderie thing with suffering again. Because it's like, oh, man, he works so hard. Look at him. Look what he's achieved. Yeah, okay. I'm a big fan of working hard, but also doing it intelligently. That whole work smarter, not harder. We still want to work hard. It doesn't denounce working hard. We still need that. Um, but there's better ways to do things. Like I, I, I work a lot. You know, I'm a high-density physician with respect to my caseload. Right? I, I, when I onboard a new physio, I tell them that I'm not the goal. Because what I am is the result of working to that point. My physios that are on board, I don't want them seeing as many patients as I see in a day because I know the impact that that can have on me sometimes. And because I'm aware of that impact and I'm kind of humble enough to accept it and then make changes in my life outside of work to adjust where I need to, it's manageable. Because burnout is never just work's fault, right? The guy that works that 13, 15 hour day but then doesn't sleep because his diet for the day was three big V's and a sausage roll. So he's just pinging, doesn't sleep all night. And then his relationship starts to break down because like you said, there's not enough contact there. And then it's, oh, you must be burning out, man. It's burnout. That's what it is. It's the job. You've got to get rid of the job. Oh, really? The job's probably okay. You can probably manage the hours a bit better. But maybe it's all those other inputs. Like I was talking about before, the sleep, nutrition, maybe those things, if we bolster them, maybe the job's not so hard. You know, so I think we need to spread that. That work smarter isn't just for work. It's for all the time around work. You can work hard at work if you're smart everywhere else. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not about having an easy day so you can spend more time. Obviously, we all love to spend more time with the people that we love. That's fantastic. Um, I myself, I've got particular goals and I'm working aggressively towards them because I want aggressive progression. Um, So then I can sit back aggressively and stop aggressively and be like, I'm kind of there. Now that there for me is probably going to continue to move farther as I move closer towards it because that's my nature. But if we can arrive at some form of oasis in that desert of effort, it needs to be rewarding. And these guys that are just pushing themselves and digging their own hole too deep that they can't climb out of it. And it's going to collapse, unfortunately. But yeah, they're stuck in a loop. You're genuinely passionate about what you're working towards and what you're doing. Mm. And you prioritize things like bodybuilding as a a hobby for yourself and you prioritize your sleep and all these other things for self-care. But so many people are trudging in the trenches, but they've got maladaptive coping strategies to try and deal with that lifestyle that they're living, like the Vs, getting no sleep and like continuously cycling around. Mm. They're not doing anything positive to really alleviate that load. There's nothing focused on recovery or having well-being in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there's that that softness associated. And we get, we pivot a bit more towards just the male mental health. There's an unfortunate softness perceived about people that do do self-care, and that stops these other guys, these hard workers, um, the guys that are working themselves to the bone every day, because it's my job. That's what I do. Well. Okay, but your, your job's not just, I don't know, concreter. It's also father, brother, son, grandson. You know, like you've got yeah. other roles in your life that obviously they're not going to attract as many hours a day, but they still need some attention. But in a lot of these spaces, I think people are hampered by the fact that they are, again, concerned that they're going to be perceived as weak or lesser, inadequate, because they're reaching for that help. You know what I mean? How many people do you ask if they need a hand lifting something? Go, no, I got it. Yeah. 
what is worse about lightening the load? Like, who does it hurt? People don't like to ask for help. And as mm. you said, particularly with men. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of emotional regulation, so many men are dying. Yeah. So many, there are many men are killing themselves all the time. Mm. And no one's asking for help or even talking about these issues. It's becoming more popular now. Mm. But the people that are speaking out aren't being heard. Yeah, yeah. And again, if we talk about that generational shift in medic- medical help, a lot of the GPs are maybe even older than my parents' age. They're not from a generation that's kind of learning this stuff. And if they're trying to learn it, they're trying to adjust a worldview that's been hard set for 55 years. That's not easy. And we can't expect them to change that rapidly. They should be equipped with the ability to do so, given the roles that they're in. But that makes that whole environment a bit less attractive. If I'm a a man, I'm having a hard time, some blokes aren't even comfortable telling their partner that for fear of making them feel bad. It's not even about exposing themselves, that they don't want to handball that burden. Because as blokes, we're supposed to be the magnets of burden. Put it all on me, take it all off. Pay your shoulders. Exactly. You know, I'm sure there was a female Atlas. I'm I'm positive. It's probably holding him up as he's Mm. holding the world up. You know what I mean? Um, But if we're not kind of cognizant enough to step back and assess those different factors of our life and be like, where am I failing? And where am I humble enough to admit it? Because people aren't good at that realizing that they are inadequate or not necessarily inadequate inherently but in their performance of a certain task in their life it's it's brutal when i tell a patient that yeah you got to push a bit harder your knee pains because of you not doing this it's nothing that i can change and you can't make them do it no no. i guess being vulnerable particularly for men women as well Mm. is a scary Mm. thing and that inadequacy and feeling and i guess accepting that you are responsible for your situation in most cases everything has come down to your decisions and your Mm -hmm. choices Mm -hmm. it's a scary thing like it's a lot easier to scroll through your phone yeah yeah and that that taking that responsibility on and then owning it and then making change Again, this is that whole kind of like, hi, I'm Dan, I got a bad back. Hi, I'm Dan, I hate my job. Hi, I'm Dan, me and my family don't get along. You know, like it becomes a part of your identity and it, it, it casts a shadow over most joy in your life, right? And if you can't let that light in, you're never really going to progress. Yeah. You're just going to circle the drain. And when you eventually fall in, you've got no one to blame. It's that kind of thing. So I think, yeah, the, the language, obviously with social media, there's some great things in social media for mental health with men's. Uh, men's mental health, all mental health, but awareness is certainly improving. Um, I think those voices, they start with I guess, shows like this, you know what I mean? Um, avenues where people can, even if you're sitting in your car frustrated about the traffic that you're currently in um, or sitting at home looking over your yard, content with what you've built and the, the backyard you've put together for your kids, that's all cool stuff. But both of those guys might need a bit of help and maybe the wife does too. And if you've got a support network of friends, like one thing I've found... I moved over here when I was oh, 23, right, um, to no one. So no family, no friends. Just rented a room that I, some weirdos I found on Gumtree and moved over here. Now, socially, as a male, things get a bit harder as we age, right? Um, there's a lot of mums groups, not many dads groups. Mm. You know what I mean? Um the gym doesn't have a, a, a roster on top of it that says, you know, these guys are looking for training partners. You know, that that, that stuff doesn't exist. There's been some attempts, you know, there was a, a gym partner finder 
kind of like a Tinder and it pretty much ended up functioning like Tinder, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's that kind of thing, like there's no, the, the social aspect's a huge one because as you feel more socially isolated, you're less likely to seek help, you know? Um, so I think if we can improve and build a community where it's it's open, it's perfectly fine to not be fine, like that, you know, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to not be content in your life. It doesn't downplay any of your struggles. But similarly, we also need to not trivialize people's issues. Because sometimes there's that whole, oh, you'll be right. Like, get over it. Yeah, they dismiss it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You rolled your ankle, but she's missing a leg. She's way worse off. Yeah. But what if she's happy and I'm not? Mm. Then my ankle's arguably a little bit more impactful than her lack of a leg. You know, so we we got to manage all that holistically, and it's a challenge. It's it's a multidisciplinary challenge as well, and that's not just health disciplines. That's all the people in your little circle, but it gets hard when the circle becomes a square, becomes a triangle, becomes a single connection, and then that's fractured too. That's challenging, and that that person, these are these at-risk individuals, you know, and sometimes it's hard. Um, to not take the burden. If you are someone that has had some success within your own mental health and maybe progressed down a pathway of some self-healing, we also need to protect our own new sort in vulnerability. You know what I mean? And not just kind of cling to other people. Yeah. Well, I've just looked at the time and we've absolutely smashed it <laughs> and really enjoyed the chat. There's a lot more I want to delve yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have to have you come back again 100%. and do this again. I really enjoyed the chat. Yeah. Dan, thank you very much for coming. Guys, you're listening to Ron Pratt Method. I'll see you next week. No worries. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Hi, this is Matt Joe Gow, and you're listening to Radio Karam, which is local community internet radio. And uh, we were having a chat about community radio earlier and how important it is to Melbourne, how important it is to the scene here, the music scene, but also the wider community. So check out Radio Karam. Tune in.